Completely unnecessary introduction. It's my pleasure to welcome you to episode 133 of The Cool Room. Uh, I'm your host, David Griffiths. Very shortly, I'll be joined by my good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, and Nathan from King River Brewing for a fantastic chat. Uh, lots of insights into the story behind the brewery, how he got to open and run his uh, dream kind of venue and all of the insights into the beers that he brews. Uh, the way to enjoy this podcast the most is to have those beers with you while you're listening. You can buy them from our online Shopify store. If you go to Google and just type in Cool Room Podcast Shopify, you'll find the store and look up the King River beers, and you can uh, get them delivered to your home, drink them while we talk about them, uh, and hopefully have a fantastic experience. Uh, if you want to join us live, uh, we've got some awesome events coming up both in the flesh uh, with our friends from Beer Deluxe in Melbourne uh, and also in June some more great online events with brewers from Victoria, Australia and all around the world. Make sure that you follow our Instagram, make sure that you follow our Facebook and you'll be able to see all of the events that are coming up and you can get to be part of them either live online with us or live in the flesh. Okay, with all of that said, let me get my good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, to bring on Nathan, and we'll start our chat with him. I'm really, really excited to introduce Nathan from, from, um, King, from King River Brewing. Uh, a matter of fact, I'm more excited to get Nathan to introduce himself, because the first thing we'd love to talk about is, is King River itself and... Um, the beautiful part of Victoria, and especially for our guests who are international and uh, and uh, from overseas, uh, um, <laughs> international and from overseas, uh, international and from overseas. <laughs> Nathan Munt, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well, Warren. Thank you for the um, amazing introduction there. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um. So, so as amazing as, as yeah. Uh, tell us about. Uh, tell us about. Uh, King River Brewing and tell us about about what you're all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'll tell you where we're from uh, exactly, which is northeast Victoria. Um, uh, you've is... read the run sheet. That's fantastic. Thanks, Nathan. You've got yes, us back on so track. I know, I know where we're at, um, uh, which is home to a bunch of really great breweries and is known as the high country in Victoria. Um, and for your international guests, that would probably uh, translate to the foothills of uh, of Victoria, being the, the mountains being so small here. Uh, we have beautiful uh, small mountain ranges, heaps of uh, places to go bike riding and kayaking and hang gliding and all that sort of um, uh, great activity stuff. Uh, and, yeah, we have um, a whole bunch of pockets of, of we say, different specialisations up in this region. So... We're about three hours from Melbourne, um, travelling northeast, and about seven hours from Sydney, sort of travelling southwest. If that helps put us on the map, um, uh, it's uh, it's fantastic. So we've got some people who are dressed for the cold weather in the uh, Zoom room. Shout out there to uh, to Mark, who's come with a beanie on. 
I imagine it's getting just a little bit chilly up in the in the uh, hills, the mountains at the moment. <laughs> it was four degrees um, coming to the brewery from home this morning, and I'm about ten minutes away. And we're we're um, in the King Valley is obviously a valley, so we're lower down than uh, some places like Bright, for example. So it's not as cold here as it would be up there, but it's certainly the seasons have turned. Um. Then you're, we're lucky enough to see that you're sitting in your, your tap room. Um, would you like to give us a rundown of, of that room? And, and the and yeah, how many taps have you got sitting next to it? It looks like quite yeah. an impressive, um, oh, impressive tap system. Not, not too impressive. It, there's a, we've got a 12 tap uh, system here. I've just turned the heater on to keep myself warm. So it's uh, slowly melting beside me, um, <laughs> which is great for the ambience. Um, this tap room that I'm currently sitting in is an old tobacco kiln that has been converted into the tap room and a wood-fired pizza oven restaurant. So the the land around here um, was replete with tobacco growing until it was no longer possible um, in Australia until about 2005. And my father-in-law, who actually owns this property, we lease all the space off him, the tap room and the brewery, uh, which is just behind me over here, um, uh, was a tobacco farmer. Uh, so on the wall at the back, um, these Hessian bags with the stamps on them, these are actually, actually all the family um, stamps of the, of the tobacco growers. Oh. So people from all around this region can come in here and see their family up here. Basically anybody uh, from the northeast that was involved in um, what was a pretty large industry not that long ago uh, has some sort of family heritage here, which is it's really lovely to see people come in and they start talking through generations as they as they point at the wall. So not a very large tap room, I've got to say. Um, uh, we only fit about 20 inside, but we've got a beautiful alfresco area uh, and then a very large garden, beautiful trees and uh, plenty of space for families and kids to run around. And um, yeah, a, a really lovely open environment. Brilliant. Excellent. So I, from there, we might move really quickly into the beer that we're starting with because we may as well talk about that okay. while we're while we're having a chat um sure. so the the hefeweizen and I've, yeah it's it's i've i cracked it a little while ago and it's lovely as it warms up um would you like to run through a little bit of a tasting of the hefeweizen and and give us a bit of a a, a clue as to to what it is and 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 where the idea or the inspirations come from yeah for sure so my, what I brew mainly is European-style beers. I'm very um, keen mm. on on that sort of uh, facet of, of the beer world. So Hefeweizen is one of those uh, staple beers that we make. We sell a lot more of it in summer than we do in winter, mind you. It's um, quite a seasonal drop. Um, but Hefeweizen is obviously, you know, fairly historical. It's It's been around for 500 or four 500 years. And um, it's a beer that can be modified a lot just by the brewing process. And uh, that's something that I really love is, is modifying the balance without changing ingredients, but modifying how we, how we make the beer. Um, the inspiration for um, Hefeweizen, it really comes from that um, Southern German, um, mm. the, the, the Bavarian sort of roots of, of wheat beer that I really love. I've had quite a few of them um, during, during my drinking time. And I just really love this fresh, bready, um, slightly banana, slightly like it's full of flavour, uh, but can finish kind of light as well and, and refreshing. And um, that little hint of acid, uh, even on the end, it just makes for what is a simple beer, rather elegant and complex. Uh, I'm so having the inspiration. 
I'm having this one after the lager. And so the transition from your lager, which is quite a full flavoured, we were saying even before the show that for a three and a half percent lager, it's got a lot of flavour and it really fills the mouth. This is a mm. nice beer to move on to after that. You've uh, you've chosen your order of beers tonight pretty cleverly, I reckon. <laughs> well, I hope so. I was um I was only looking at the list going, well, hang on a second, the two four forty mil cans are the last two. If we're going to have a break, maybe we should have had one of those in, in the middle. So I apologize for that. But from a flavor perspective, I think um it's a good uh, it's a good sort of uh journey um in that one shouldn't outplay the other as, as we get there. So um, with, for me, Hefeweizen, uh, I don't like uh, when there's too much going on, there's too much banana, there's too much clove. I feel like it becomes a bit soupy. And I really like um, the slightly dry and, and not overly lingering um, finish, like with the flavour. So um, as a result, uh, that's how I make my, my Hefeweizen. I also add a little bit of um, more well-modified malt, a little bit of Vienna malt. Mm -hmm. um, which increases the colour, um, which I, th I think makes it stand out a bit more. It doesn't change the flavour profile too much, um, but you get that really deep orange um, mm. sort of character from it, uh, which is, you know, really appealing to me. Um, I'm, I love our listeners uh, love kind of the, 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 kind of the more in-depth side of brewing. Well, not necessarily in-depth, yeah. but to kind of the more technical side, and that's me so, included. Um, I don't completely understand how you get those kind of estuary flavors those banana and and kind of yeah clovey kind of characters in heather yeah. and hair how does that work yeah so uh we it can be quite simple in that the yeast um produces a lot of these flavors and different yeast mm -hmm. will produce different quantities of them um uh, uh depending on on temperatures and and the environment like the type of beer that it's being fermented in but there's other things we can do as well. So this beer is probably one of my more complex beers that I make in that I do a very arduous mashing profile uh, to promote uh, different, uh, uh, basically, precursors uh, to get those clove characters. So mm -hmm. we do, like, uh, um, a protein and, um, and a beta-glucan rest, but we also do a ferulic acid rest um, as well, and that uh, then translates into more clove characteristic um, at lower temperatures in the ferment. So I play with, uh, with that mashing profile as well as fermentation temperature. Mm -hmm. I use a specific yeast strain that I like, um, yep. uh, which uh, you know, is a, a pretty well-known quantity to me. So that the variables that I'm playing with tend to be more, um, yeah, just on that, on that mashing side, uh, on that how long I rest for and mm -hmm. what temperatures I'm resting at, uh, and then what fermenta fermentation temperature um, uh, I use. Uh, oxygen's another big one. So stressing the yeast out more is going to produce more of that, um, that estuary characteristic. Yep. Um, I don't overstress it, but I really try to get the temperature quite right. So here, what we've got in this, in this uh, batch mm -hmm. uh, is probably a stronger, um, that clove spicy four vinyl glycol um, characteristic coming through more so than the banana. Banana's really um, so, so amylacetate is really strong on the nose, but not so much um, coming through on the palate. Uh, and that's something that I really try to get a balance of. I like the mixture of the two. I don't like mm -hmm. one overpowering the other. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you mentioned that, is that part of what you mentioned before, kind of not overblowing the whole thing and not, not, not kind of, yeah, over-accentuating all those characters? 
Yeah, 100%. I think uh, it's really easy just to go, um, let the yeast go nuts. Um, let's get all the banana in the world and away we go. Yeah. Um, but that uh, lacks a certain amount of balance within the beer. So, yeah, that's, that's, that is exactly what I'm talking about. So I try to go for a lower temperature but still produce those, those esters, um, yeah, based on what I put into the beer. So one question, oh, yeah, we on, ask, yeah. one question we didn't ask, what you often do at the beginning is just sort of the brewery itself, what sort of capacity you have, how many tanks you've got. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to come back to this a few times, I think, given the, the techniques that you use and even with the wet hop, you know, how much capacity have you got? And yeah. beers like this or the lager, how does that affect <laughs> the whole production side of things? Yeah, not enough. So, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we, have, we have a few, um, we dance a lot uh, in terms of production. Um, which is heaps of fun and makes life very interesting. But our brew, brew length is 10 heck, um, so which we can push maybe 12 heck out of, if, uh, depending on the beer, sort of like five and a half or below. Um, the the mid-strength lager, for example, we do a high-gravity brew on and I can get about two, just over 20 heck um, off that, off a batch, um, which is great. It's economical um, and works really well. We have eight tanks now we've got a total fermentation capacity of i think 120 heck mm. three five seven nine ten eleven twelve yep <laughs> um which only got installed well it's all new to me because uh we were originally running off a 30 heck and two 10 heck so um uh 50 in total and for the first four and a half five years of operation until august um we put the uh, commissioned the new tanks in August, and since then we've just been brewing, brewing hand over fist, and um, it slowed down a little bit now that, that we just kicked in. But yeah, we've been um, yeah really juggling. Uh, uh, the tanks have always been full. Um, we have been lucky enough to brew the High Country Brewery Trail collaboration beer this year. Huh. Um, however, it's a lager, and therefore it's been holding up my largest <laughs> tank for a bit over a month. Uh, or almost two months now. Um, so wonderful beer. I'm very happy um, to have held onto it at nice cold temperatures for that long. Um, but it does then present other challenges. We have two other lagers in tank at the moment as well that will be coming out next week. Do you, do you, do you want to give that a little bit of a spruik, the, the collaboration? Yeah. Just, just for people who are oh, listening sure. may not know the story behind it. Yeah, for sure. So um, uh, High Country Brewery Trail is... Um, uh, conglomerate of the brewers up here in the high country. Um, uh, most of you will know Bridge Road, Bright Brewery, um, mm. uh, Black Dog, uh, Mitter Mitter, um, uh, Crankshaft is new, which is in Mount Buffalo, um, mm. and Billson's Brewery as mm. well. Um, yeah, so prior to COVID, every year we get together and, and, and um, come up with a recipe and make a beer together. We'd make it all at, at one of the brewery's breweries. And uh, that sounded like um, uh, tautology. But anyway. Um, <laughs> it's uh, better than making it in someone's bathtub. <laughs> so we're, yeah. we're keen, to get, keen yeah. to hear that. <laughs> so um, we, we missed it for two years because of COVID. I uh, put my hand up this year um, because I know how tight the bigger guys are as well. And we just increased capacity. Little did I know that I'd be struggling so much, but. Um, yeah, really happy to have made it this year. Um, the beer itself is called Rule 47, and that is a cycling rule. Rule 47 is drink triples, don't ride triples, and the context of it being 
that if you're a great um, uh, adventurer and fitness person and rider of bikes uh, for leisure or whatever, um, then you should only be drinking great beer because life is too short for not great beer. Oh, so that's the, the, yeah, that's the kind of concept behind it. So Rule 47 this year will be coming out um, in the next couple of weeks. Packaging's next week, so it's not far away. Um, yeah, and it's just a great time that uh, we can all get together. And obviously in the last two years, it's been a real struggle um, to be able to do things like that. So it was really, really nice to... So, um, so when and, be, to when and where are people going to be able to get their lips mm. on that beer? Well, um, I would have said next week, but I do have to get the distribution out and there's a, there's a couple of conversations. But I'd imagine it'll be in the next couple of weeks. Next couple of weeks. And we will all be selling it independently. Um, so you'll be able to hit your favourite brewery's um, website or store or whatever and um, uh, should be able to find it. By the time I've finished editing this, it should be in store then. So that's, yeah. that's perfect timing. There you go. There you go. You can uh, send you a plug for it. You can put a picture yeah, on the please, please do. Please do. Eight, eight weeks in tank. That's incredible. Like, no, like well, a couple of months in tank. So, yeah, that's wow. Well, you know, I think six, six, six weeks is um, uh, what the Germans will tell you is uh, about the appropriate time yeah. for, for a lager. And uh, we brewed it early. Um with the idea uh, that it would be ready for winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so I don't know. I think I, I organised the packaging run for late May to make sure that we had that six weeks covered post-ferment, like a proper yep. conditioning time. And, um, yeah, it ended up being uh, longer than that and can only make it better as far as I'm concerned. The beer's tasting pretty good, I've got to say, out of the tank, you know, for the, um, for the, for the testing that I've had to do. Awesome. Oh, that must be horrible for you about all that testing. That, that yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, terrible. Everyone puts their hand up for testing, I've got to say. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> funny that. Um, this beer is incredibly Moorish. Like, I know what you mean when you say it's it's not, it's really out of season. But, geez, you could drink it. Yeah, you could drink a, real, a ton of them any time of year. It's one of my goals uh, for brewing for 95% of my beers, unless they're stupid, stupidly large, um, and even then still a little bit, is, is that I like I like the idea of wanting to repeat the experience, you know? Like, I want to be, I want to have more than one. I want you to finish your beer and, and want to go back there again. So my beers aren't generally full of mayhem. Mm-hmm. Um, they're generally uh, just meant to be balanced and, and, and very drinkable. And that lovely lick of acidity that's there, just to, just yeah, right to the yeah, that's it's um, yeah, it totally makes sense with the beer. I'm going to throw in a question from one of the people in the chat room, Mugs, because I think it's a really, I think it's a, a clever one. I might adapt it a little. Um, make, sure oh, you, not, make sure you have the chat feature open if you're in the Zoom room with us. We've had a few people join us as this has gone on, so make sure yeah. you have the chat open. Feel free to type your questions as we go along. And um, that's one of the great things about joining us live rather than just listening to the podcast, much as we love our podcast listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so Max has asked, how do you gauge how long it needs to like, how long a, a beer like the Rule 47 needs to lager? Is it done? Yeah, is it done purely on taste? Do you, do you just, ta- when it tastes right to you, it, it, that's when you go for it? Yeah, there's a, there's a cleanliness and a crispness to it that um, that I do it on. But, yeah, I don't do it on any sort of scientific measurement. For me, it's um, uh, get it cold, wait and wait and wait, 
And my, my general, my general lagering is um, around four weeks. I wouldn't do it as long as I've, I've done this one. Um, but the cold conditioning, it's, it's the longer it goes for to a point, the better it gets. And I don't, I don't filter, I don't filter or pasteurize. Um, so it's very important to me to have um, a really well conditioned beer. Hmm. That's a great question. The, yeah, and and the kind of and you brought up another question. When you, like you lager it within reason, so when do you know what happens if you leave it for too long? Well, I I've never left one for too long, but I mean, if you if you're leaving yeah. beer in in tank uh, on yeast cold, it's just going to go stale over time. Sweet. Yeah, fair enough. That's that's easily done. Yeah. I've got yeah, another exactly. nerdy. I've got another nerdy question. So, like, winemakers get really stressed about stressing yeast. Winemakers, <laughs> I know, uh, just get a little bit nervous when yeast is stressed. We don't like. We want ferments to go through in a really even kind of balanced manner. When it comes to something like a hef, where you're you're actually causing the stress is there issues that can come up from that what what happens like describe the the am i am i just over complicating no, no, for sure um first of all i don't like to stress it out too much and that comes back to how i was saying like i like to process my my hef i want to give mm-hmm. it healthy yeast and i want it to um ferment out pretty well you can taste it you know you get autolysis um uh, as well from stressed yeast which is that little bit of vegemite whatever there's more mm-hmm. cleanup that um, that really needs to happen. So I don't like to stress it out too much. Um, Belgian beers are a little bit different um, for me. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the challenge is that if you do stress it out too much, then it's going to slow down. And when it slows down, um, the beer doesn't taste as fresh straight away and you lend yourself to other, um, other problems like yeah. with the autolysis, like with the dead yeast in there. Um, and also not being able to really control that ester formation. So yeah. what are you getting? So yeah, and we don't have um, we don't have a, a yeast uh, proper yeast propagation program here yet, mm-hmm. um, which is something that um, that uh, needs to come soon because we use mainly liquid yeast and it's very expensive yeah. um, to make sure it's it's good without that program. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, stressing the yeast, you can have lag times, you're gonna have uh, additional flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have uh, the scientific method of um, cell counts and yep. knowing what you're pitching and how healthy it is, then it's going to be very hard to get the, the right outcome. So my general rule at the moment for how we brew is fresh, healthy um, and play with other, vari- uh, other variables. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. I'm glad I asked that one. Um, now, I reckon, now, I don't know how everyone else is going with their heifer, but I'm about ready to move on to the alt beer, oh. which I... No, we leave a couple of questions to push over into the next segment. Yeah. But I think they'll work just as well. If I think I the... think you're right. There is one question I want to I want to add while we finish up the the hef, um, and it's kind of it's kind of perfect because one of my favourite craft beers, one of the first ones I ever tried was the Redback from Matilda Bay. Oh yeah, it was a hef. <laughs> so, did you have any? Did you have any? Um, what was your first craft beer, Nathan? What was your? What was the first one that kind of really, uh, really made your mind go, "Wow, this is this is beer. This is." Something. Well, the fir- the first beer that made my made me want to brew um, was mm. the Unibrow Terrible from Canada, uh, and the first beer I would say that made me go, uh, "I really like 
beer. I think this should be beer with Chimay Blue. So you're getting a bit of an oh, yeah. idea yeah. about where the um, Belgian Dark Strong and me sort of sits, which is yep. high up there on the ladder. Um, but if I was going to say craft, uh, like Australian craft. We have, a pretty, we have a pretty open-minded version of, of craft, I'm going yeah. to say. Yeah. So okay. Chimay, look, Chimay, Chimay Blue was, uh, yeah. was my first craft. Um, and from there, it would probably hit Sarah Nevada, uh, pale or stout. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Not, not enough people drink that stout, just for what it's worth. Uh, yeah, it was a blood, it's a bloody good stout. Yeah. She may not know. Oh, I'm going to grab an alt beer then. Oh, yeah, you go and grab the alt beer. We'll talk amongst ourselves mm. for a moment. But um, just to emphasise to people, you know, that there's 11 beers in the uh, tasting pack that we've got from King River. Um We'll see how late we go tonight, but it's just such a broad range of styles that it's um, there's so much fun to be had. So uh, we'll get right through all of those as we go on. But let's keep, keep that sort of, I, I've called it German theme, let's call it European theme going and move on to the alt beer. We've had one or two of these on the show over the years, but hmm. not a whole heap. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about the style, you know, why it's familiar or, you know, where you first encountered it? And, how this beer in particular shows it off. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we love the Germans. So alt beer means old beer. Um, alt means old and beer means beer, uh, meaning that it's a top fermented ale strain. Um, there is, uh, this is more in the Dusseldorf style or, or I attempt it to be. Um, there's also Northern German alt beer, which can be brewed with lager yeast. Um, why I made this beer originally, this is one of the beers that I made when I was home brewing, I guess, that I went, hang on a second, that's a very interesting beer. Um, I think I like that. And uh, translate that into um, the brewery, I really wanted a beer that was like an amber uh, that I could have in summer. So I've made this old beer about 1% less than usual. I've decreased the bitterness slightly. Um, so for all intents and purposes, it's a bit of a Australian King River brewing version of an alt beer, but it still holds true to the style in that, um, it's got a good base firm bitterness, uh, and it has a great malt presence, uh, without being overly cloying or overly malty. Um, why? Well, we so where did you first strike the style? You're saying you sort of started to make as a home brewer, but yeah, you must I, have had I it first somewhere. struck the style in, um, brewing classic styles by... Jane off, whatever. Um, yes. Uh, so I brewed it before I tried it. Um, but And then after brewing it, uh, went and sought out alt beers, had a few northern alt beers. Um, it was very hard to find alt beer in Australia then, mm. uh, mid-2000s, 2004, 2000. <clears throat> um, and, yeah, I just uh, I really loved the, the cleanliness of it. We're coming back again to... Uh, what I really love doing or what I really love in a beer uh, or, or, you know, most beers is that that clean profile, that um, that really um, interesting showcasing of the ingredients. Like the malt really comes through in this. It's a very noble um, German hop character um, that's coming through over the top, very different to what we generally think of as American and, and Australian sort of style beers these days. And, um, yeah, that, that elegance and, and ease of drinking, um, uh, and really, the, the character of the malt that comes through on this beer um, is what really makes me love it. Now, I 
through this and a, and the Kolsch, um, my starting beer lineup when we opened the brewery was a sour porter, the uh, Belgian triple, um, the alt beer, red IPA, and um, Kolsch. And uh, I thought, yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, there was a German guy managing the local pub, mm. and he went, Kolsch, alt beer, I'll take them both. Away we go. Since then, the Alt and the Kolsch have been on the pub, ever, uh, on at the pub ever since, um, and the Alt beer has become a bit of a local favourite. Outside of the local region, um, it's a bit of a hard sell, um, but it's actually, yeah, it's, it's actually done really well locally. It's a really nice sort of, you know, again, you know, in the progression of beers that we're having from the mm. lager through to uh, the heifer through to this, can you talk us a little bit about sort of the actual malts themselves? And again, for people who are new oh, on yeah. the craft here, how many of the same malts are being used here? Are you using the same supplier? Obviously, the colours coming from you know different roasts. How does all of that yep. work? Yep. So without getting into malting, I guess, but I use uh, almost exclusively Voyager craft malts. So from the Riverina, um, Stu, Stu and Co., um, and I've tailored all my beers over the last probably three years to um, go from using German malts, like Best Malts, Weyermann is what I, uh, was pretty much the malt bill, um, into using all Voyager. So the recipes have, have changed to uh, accommodate um, what they have, uh, you know, what they make. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, the colour in this beer comes from two of uh, Voyager's malts, which are SM40, which is built to be like a bit of a red ale malt uh, and then voodoo, which is like a little bit of um, like a light medium crystal malt. Um, so that's where we get that um, sort of enriched malt character. Um, and the SM40 has a good breadiness, a um, little bit of pretzel character. I think pre- like that mm. hard baked pretzel character is, is what I really want to go for without it being astringent in this beer. And the SM40 really provides that, that, you know, th- those two malts are probably, what makes the old beer the old beer. Um, the base malts that I use generally would be uh, either Valoria, which is a schooner barley, um, or a just the schooner pale. So they're a heritage barley that tends to be a little less fermentable, which means that we end up with... Um, that's quite the old uh, ice cream pour, Jacob. I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, I did a similar pour, I've got to say, just to let Jacob off the hook. Oh, sorry, Jacob. It was quite lively opening that can, but, yeah, bad pour oh, yeah. too. She's had a good life, the old old beer then. Package day, December, a few months old. Mm. Um, yes, so the, the malt's uh, key in this beer, absolutely. It is, it is what really shines through. Um, at 4%, uh, it's a little bit of that dance like I do with the um, with the North by Northeast to make sure that we've got um, right up front this really great malt characteristic out of a beer that's a little bit lighter. And can I just ask, and, not to be rude, but the decision to sort of move to Voyager from the overseas mm-hmm. malts, what was the reasoning behind that? Oh, well, many reasons. Um, one, the, the main ones being that, they're local. It's a. Um, it's not just a carbon footprint issue. It's also a small business and a family issue. I really resonate with that. Um, yep. But what what made it um, just such a good decision was that 
Stu and the farmers work together to make a really sustainable system um, where uh, everything gets used, everything, um, uh, even to the, like biofuel, to the farmers getting paid correctly, to um, it, it being relatively close. It's just a really great ecosystem to be a part of. Mm. And I was originally hesitant. Uh, I shouldn't say hesitant. I was originally um, not really looking at it because I didn't have familiarity with it. Um, but almost straight away, as soon as I started using it, I remember the first bag of malt that I got, I opened it up and it just smelled so fresh. Mm. I'd never smelt malt like it in my life. And um, I went, my God. And you look at the date, it was malted two weeks ago. You know, and then you look at a bag um, imported malt. It was malted nine months ago, and you're like, "Well, there's a the difference." And the um, the actual, you know, the the economy um, uh, of the liquor uh, was sub like substantial. It was great, um, so there was no reduction there. So, in terms of all the positives, there's just no real reason to. Um, Great answer. And look, that, hit, that hit I, all of the, that hit all of the marks that I was hoping you were going to hit. So yeah, well, I mean, well, that, that's why that's why he's got a great business, right? And that's why we um, that's why we use it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really proud to be uh, a, a great brewer of stews, um, malts, and I really think I showcase them with the type of beers that we make as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, go Voyager. So that that's yeah, many reasons, and 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 that's it in a nutshell. Um. We sort of you've you've touched on this before about sort of the early reception to that quite European lineup of beers that you had locally, but we often talk you know marketing here and we talk about can design and we talk about what name you put on the front of a beer. Mm -hmm. And some brewers that we've had on say, well, we choose to give our beers a name that sort of you know covers up some of that traditional style because they're worried about how people will respond to a word like alt beer might put yep. some newer craft beer drinkers off. Yeah, same with the heifer, to be honest. Same with yeah. the Doppelbock that we're going to get to. They might give it some funny name just to sort in, you know, in a picture of a cat on the label or something. You've yeah. gone very traditional in naming, very traditional in sort of design. Do you ever yeah. get any feedback about those kinds of things? Yeah, 100%. I think I just received some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do. And I... Um, I, I I empathise with that. Um, I guess I'm not at a level where I'm really trying to move a lot of units. Um, so I'm trying to move as many units as we make, but I, I'm not trying to market alt beer as, um, you know, the, the the next million litres that needs to go out of the brewery. So, and I think if you did, um, you could still call it alt beer instead of Barry and um, and market it correctly and you'd still get the throughput, right? Um, I mean, how, how popular was Hogarden? Uh, and nobody knew that that was a waste beer. Mm. Um, they just knew it as Hogarden, and that's that's a marketing potential thing. So I know it's hard. We've got you know six to eight to ten beers in a core range for a lot of breweries these days. Um, but I just feel if if I move away from the stylistic naming of the beers, then I'll move away from the European nature of what I'm doing as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, very fair answer. Um, yeah. Can we, can we get, let's go back to your story a little bit and talking on the European bit of things, but, you know, we've touched on some of those first beers of the style that you had. Uh, we've took, we've spoken a little bit about, you know, brewing from the book, but I presume there's a European trip in there somewhere and where you've gone. Over oh, yeah. 
<laughs> there is. So I guess the the region that, that we're in where the brewery's in is a European um, uh, em immigrant area, um, most notably Italian, uh, mm. home of Prosecco in Australia. Um, first commercial grapes grown was Delzato's just up the road. Um, my wife is of um, you know, second generation Italian descent. Um, so her father who ran the tobacco farm here, uh, Italian, uh, she did exchange back to uh, Trentino in Italy where they were from. We went back over there and did a, did a big tour as well uh, and also around Belgium. Um, but I, I feel like um, uh, that, that was a small part of uh, the the of that crucible of fascination of the Belgian beers, like it really did come from um, just being silly about buying whatever I could find in Australia to begin with. Um, but yeah, there was there was a great European trip, and there will be more to come because uh, we're certainly at the level where we need to try a lot more, and, and it's, it'll be really important for us to get out in the field. Um, Absolutely, and, and just to get away again. If Josh Frydenberg's living in listening in, as he often he, he does. <laughs> You know, yeah. all of these things should be tax deductible. So it's fantastic that, you know, he's going to allow all of that to happen at least for the next 36 hours or so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, you know, in terms of when you took those trips, t tell us a little bit about how that sort of transition happened from being a home brewer to going, radio. I want to own a big steel vat rather than a couple of 50 litre plastic things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I the story was rather rapid, rather quick. Um, I uh, I was drinking great beer for at least ten years, I reckon, like early two thousands or late nineties, and um, and I had a homebrew kit in the garage for ages. Didn't touch it till about two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Yeah, right. And uh, I tried to brew a beer; it was crap. Um, uh, tried to brew another beer; it was equally as crap. Then I went, I've got to buy better equipment. And within about two and or three months. you bought a brewery? No. <laughs> in about two or three months, the whole garage was decked out. Uh, three vessel homes and um, away we went. And my mm. wife and I kind of knew that something was going to happen at that point. The fixation and the unwillingness to let something not be perfect. And uh, it just went like that for about five or six years. But we knew pretty early on that that's what I was getting to. So then, the, then there was the study and... Um, and yeah, and just trying to become a professional. So, what were you doing before uh, that, if you don't mind me asking? Like before, well, I'm you know, still kind of doing it. I'm on paternity leave at the moment, but I, I work in IT at ANZ Bank. Um, uh, yeah, I've got. To, yeah, I've that, really got to thank the banking industry for the number of IT people I know. they've allowed yeah. to, you know, slowly know. be released into the craft beer world. I think. I know it's. Uh, it's. I. I was speaking to somebody the other day, and um, that there was a bit of a shoot for tourism stuff here and they're like oh and what did you do um you know before you did this I said oh I was actually working in IT and she's like oh yeah I said yeah like every other brewer <laughs> 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 yeah. so there's something about the uh, uh analytical nature of it maybe I don't know I'm trying to come up with excuses but yeah Sure, but there's no need to make an excuse. It's a no. it's a completely legitimate thing to a work in IT and then want to get out of it and brew beer. I, mean, I think that's true. That's true. So to to um, summarise or quickly come to the point of the story, um, this wonderful establishment here, uh, my my father-in-law's property, um, he turned into a wood-fired pizza oven restaurant for him and his wife. Um, 
they had stopped operating that and she sadly passed away and my, my wife and I had wanted to move up to the country uh, to have a family. Uh, and it all sort of happened at once and uh, we had to just decide. And so we took everything we had and we invested it in the brewery, which to this day, I'm still not sure is the best of uh, <laughs> ideas. Um, however, here we are and, and, and that's how we sort of got here. And because I love European beer and grading, like just simple great ingredients and um, balanced beers, it just really resonated with me that this was the region to do it because of what the heritage of the region, uh, of the region is as well. Uh, well, I've, we love those kind of stories. Really, the cool room is all about sort of learning about those little danger moments and what causes people just to make the leap, you know, and the good bits and the bad bits of those decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, what's, what's been the highlight about doing all of that and having your own space now? Oh, well, being here now, David, is a uh, pretty, pretty big <laughs> highlight. Um, but it is, it is it's, talking, it's talking to people, you know, like what, what I'm so passionate about is sharing um, the flavours and the, and, the, and the idea of beers with people, you know, and that's what really captured me from a very early stage. So this is what I love doing so much um, about, you know, running the brewery is talking about and, and, um, and, and connecting with people through beer. Mm. Um, the, the highlights uh, are definitely that, um, that we put those new tanks in um, over COVID and it was, we already didn't have anything. And then I went, well, we either got to break in half or just keep muddling along. So let's give it a go. Um, and we put it in and, and um, you know, we're doing okay. And I feel like, all right, we're actually, we're a business, we're a, real, we're a good business now and we can actually go to that next level. So it's just in the last six months out of what's been a really trying two years um, that there's been this just awesome feeling that we're doing a great job, that we're doing a, we're running a great brewery. The beers certainly back that up. I've, I've got mm. to, you know, how much of the business is the tap room? How much of it is those sort of local pubs and how much is coming yeah. to Melbourne and other capital cities now? Yeah, so it's, it was flipped around a little bit um, in the last two years. So we used to send a fair amount of kegs down to Melbourne and now we send none um, and everything's gone to package. We used to be 330ml bottles and 750ml. So triple and, and um, uh, those sort of Belgian beers we still put into 750s. Um, uh, but, yeah, so we're doing maybe... Oh, you know, we're doing now about 70% out of the tap room. Um, we were doing about 50 before um, COVID, uh, but the tap room's gone nuts in terms of tourism. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and the volume now, because the volume for wholesale is all in packaged and it used to be in 50-litre kegs. Now it's in 375-mil th cans. So there's a lot more work going on um, uh, and I'd say a lot less volume going out, um, but there's a lot more of it. There's a lot more cans in people's hands. So, um, yeah, we, we've started to look at picking up Melbourne again uh, just recently and we'll try to kick on a little bit um, coming into summer. Uh, I think we've, we've got a, a good guy lined up to help with that. Uh, but we've really been focusing on our northeast region. Um, so, yeah, if, you, if you're between here and Seymour, um, which is about hundred and something kilometres away, um, then we've been trying to make it all happen so that people around us know us. Because 
we'll still get people that have driven past this road that we're on every day of their life that will come in here and say, didn't know there was a brewery here. When did you guys start? It's like, yeah, we've, we've done a shit job. Yeah, we've done a shit job, <laughs> but we make really good beer. Glad you're here. Let's talk about it. So, yeah, we're, um, we're increasing our, our exposure as we speak. Hey, Nathan, before we started recording, we had a little conversation about what you've been up to today. And before oh, yeah. you got to the recording, <clears throat> in the in the story about how awesome it is to 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 be there and to have your brewery and to be able to tell tell the story about your brewery, where does days like this rate? And can you, oh, yeah, we, you better let everyone know on the podcast what happened today. But yeah, how does that rate in the whole experience of of being a brewer? Well, that tends to be a semi daily experience. There's always some crisis to. Um, mm. To work through we're a pretty small team here uh, i've got uh, two apprentices at the moment um one of which only started a month ago um the other one uh in in august so um it used to just be me and my wife running around now there's wow. four of us running around and the, the level of running around has just in, increased but yeah i mean we had some shipping delays uh we've got um we've got deadlines on the go we we use a company uh, that comes in with a canning line. So the packaging gets scheduled um, well in advance. And mm-hmm. yeah, we uh, there was a product on back order. It was supposed to be here earlier this week. It went missing. I've been waiting, waiting, waiting. I was looking at driving down to Melbourne this afternoon uh, to go and try to um, uh, locate this. But uh, I spoke to a fellow brewer um, over at Bright who happened to have some of what I needed on hand. And uh, yeah, we raced over there. Still an hour and a half drive to Brighton um, and then another hour and a half back. Um, so, yeah, uh, how does that rate? I don't know. I feel like that's... I'm, uh, I shouldn't say I'm used to it because we don't have uh, those sort of problems all the time, but there's... You constantly have little issues that you got to deal with mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, you just got to go, all right, we're, we're doing it and we're dealing with it and, and then you get it done and a week later you're like, Jesus, that was actually tight. Right now, um, we've, we've hit the target. Um, I've got, um, uh, I saw, I'm pretty sure, yeah, Leto, he's online there. So he's finished, he's finished finding my beer now. Um, well, you hope. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He, has, he does a good job. He does a good job. I reckon we, this is a, probably a pretty good little spot just to have a, a little break in the live mm. Zoom room. But before we do that, I just want to shout out to you. Uh, we're pretty open here in the cool room about the, the issues that we've had with shipping and supply, exactly what you're touching on there. Uh, and often people here in the Zoom room, you know, hear me whinge about the bad bits. But I've got to say that you and your team, including oh. the family, um, yeah. have been the easiest and most committed people to deal mm. with, I think, this year. Uh, and, and this, from a from a venue operator's point of view, just makes life so easy and fantastic. And so a shout out to you and a shout out to the family who drove the beer down one day Um, and (coughs) chef's kiss for just being easy to work with. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we want people to get our beer, right? And uh, we've got a, we've got a great dedicated family. Um, Very true sense of the family business. I've got to say here, everyone's got a finger in basically. (laughs) Excellent. I'm going to press pause and we're going to have a little break. 
And while I've pressed pause and we have that little break in the live Zoom, um, it's a little excuse for me to jump in here with a quick little promo reminder for following us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, in June, we've got some truly awesome events coming up. I think I can now reveal that Collective Hearts are going to be making a visit to the Cool Room online Zoom room. It'll be one of those special episodes where if you don't buy the tasting pack, you won't get admitted to the Zoom room. We really want as many people as possible to be joining us live and being able to interact with the brewers. So keep your eye out for that. And uh, as soon as word gets out, you'll see it on the Facebook and the Instagram. And you'll be able to join us for what would be a very, very special night uh, in the Cool Room Zoom room. Okie dokie, back to the show. And... Well, we're back here after our little break. We've all had a bit of a chat in the Zoom room, one of the great reasons to join us live rather than just listening to the podcast. And Nathan has oh. just confessed that he's made the same mistake I have. Normally at the beginning of these shows, we're pretty conscientious about asking things like, should we get the stat out of the fridge early? And I should have asked, should we get the Doppelbock out of the fridge mm. early? I didn't ask, mate. Sorry about that. You're all right, Dave. I, um, I, I have a thing where basically all of my beers can get out of the um, fridge early because they should all drink pretty well uh, with a bit of temperature on them. It's just the styles that they are. So let's, let's talk. This is sort of the, the third of the trilogy in terms of those European traditional styles. Mm. We've already hinted a little bit along the way here, but let's talk about what a doppelbock is. It's just a great word to be able to say, aside from <laughs> the so you're going to hear me say it a fair bit. It's like pobblebog frog, which I like saying as well. <laughs> tell us about doppelbox and tell us why this one is a great example of it. Well, I'll start with the, um, with the old uh, a venue. Uh, loved the beer so much. They couldn't wait to get hold of a keg. And they said, but we just can't put it on if we call it Doppelbock because nobody will know what that means and it sounds funny. Is that fair dinkum? That is fair dinkum. So we, ha- we had a, um, a foray into uh, sort of beer names um, uh, just, just before and that was one that really uh, hit hard because I'm like, I cannot call it anything else. It is a Doppelbock, you know. It's, a, it's, it's two times Bock, surely. <laughs> Um, and as I understand it, bock means goat, so it's a double goat. Uh, I don't understand the actual reasoning behind that, but box are large beers, doppel box are basically a brown, slightly larger version uh, of the same beer, and is a lager. Um, we often get people saying they like lager, um, uh, which means that they want something simple and easy drinking. Uh, and then we'll also get people that say, I don't drink lager, I drink craft beer. And this is the beer that I give to them. So this is an incredibly uh, flavoursome, um, very uh, high mash-in temperature to make sure there's a lot of residual sweetness. This is the dessert in a glass. Um, I love the colour. Uh, I love the mouthfeel. Um, it Even on is, the nose, it's sweet. I've got to say, which you don't, yeah. you know, a huge amount. So, you know, that's yeah. It is. It so the the style is, <coughs> as far as I'm aware, which I may have just uh, listened to a whole bunch of hearsay, uh, is that it is liquid bread, and it is what the monks used to make during Lent when they weren't allowed to eat. So, as a result of that, we all need our carbs and <clears throat> maybe alcohol for the monks. 
Uh, and so they made a, uh, a high carbohydrate beer, uh, which is the Doppelbock. So liquid bread, it should be super bready. It should be super flavoursome. Um, we can get to that sort of note of raisin, but I try to stay away from it. I want like a bit of that rich toffee um, character coming through, uh, but it is a lager. I also want it to finish like fresh on your palate, um, but I still want that lingering flavour. I want that malt to stick on your tongue. So yeah, that's, um, that's Doppelbock in a nutshell. Beautiful beer, works well with, um, sweet desserts, sticky date, etc. Um, yeah, and great for this time of year. I make it every year at harvest with the wet hops as an absolutely different beer to all the hop stuff that's going on. Um, and tell us how long does this one sit in the tanks and, you know, what kind of chaos does it cause? Well, this one was only about four weeks. This one, yeah. Um, but you can, you can taste how fresh it is. There's no autolysis. There's no... Uh, sulfur from the lager. Um, it's come out last packaging run on the uh, the end of April, so it's pretty it's pretty fresh. And this is a beer that I'd, I um, would say put put it in your fridge or leave it outside at this time of year. Uh, as I think Jacob uh, mentioned, it's a great uh, a great beer to have out there at that temperature. Um, and yeah, it'll just improve a little bit until it starts getting warmer. Then put it in your fridge and. And uh, yeah, it's got enough preservative and body in it to um, yeah to last the winter. In terms of that sort of continuum that we were talking through before with the malting processes and the malts and so forth, you know, what's going on in here that sort of you know is the step yeah. up from the previous beers that we've had? So the 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 basic reality of this beer is that it's just got a lot more malt in it. Um, so there's additional voodoo, uh, which is that medium crystal uh, in there. Um, and the malt bill, say, versus the alt beer would be easily double for the same amount of, um, for the same amount of beer. Because the mashing temperature is really high, we end up with a lot less fermentable sugars. That gives us that, real, that really rich sweetness um, coming through. But it also means that we get less extract out of it. So we need to use a lot more malt to be able to create this beer with this beautiful, rich, sweet character. And it absolutely does hit exactly those notes that you're, you're talking about. Um, you know, when we get on to the next beer, we're going to be talking a lot about hops. We've spoken a lot about malts already, but mm. let's talk about the other bits that are in there. In, in particular, um, water. I mean, in terms of, you know, where you're located, you must be getting some of the freshest water in Australia, if not the world. Yeah, yeah. How important is that? You know, we've talked to so many breweries who alter their water for certain beers. You know, how, how do you respond to all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, yeah, water is the main ingredient in beer, if you, if you think about it, really. Like, um, so it's a, a very important part of our product. Um, there is a lot of romanticism around water, which um, isn't really... Uh, uh, is romanticism, okay? So we have really great water. We, um, When I created the brewery, one of the most expensive things that I did was find the water that I wanted. Um, and then I found that it still wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. So we actually run it through an RO unit. So we've got... What does that uh, mean for those of us that are... Uh, so reverse osmosis. So it's a ceramic um, filter and a massive pump that just pushes it through the ceramic. So you end up with pretty much pure water. 
There's no chemical treatment or anything like that. It is the water source that you've got. You push it through at a particular um, uh, level and you end up with um, some residual, but almost nothing. It's almost pure. So every single beer that I make has its own water recipe, mm -hmm. right? Which is just mineral additions. Um, so to yeah. just, to, just to play that back to you, you are basically stripping everything out of the water and then rebuilding it to be the what the water. Yeah, to an extent. So the reason why I do that is that the um, the the aquifer that we tap into has a bit of basalt, which um, ends up uh, providing uh, a little bit too much salt. Mm -hmm. um, but it's only in the 80 parts range. So it's, it wasn't huge, but it was just too much for me to go, I can't deal with that and make all these wonderful European beers that I want to make. So let's go blank canvas. So, yeah, so that's pretty much what we've got. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, add back in. You're right. And so, so for a beer like this, what kind of things are you adding in? I don't, don't give away all your trade secrets, but just sort of give people a bit of a feel. Yeah. And again, from I'm, this is I'm a very home. open, yeah. I'm a very open person, David. I, uh, I'm, I'll bring the recipe out if you need. Um, it's all <laughs> well, good. It's, I think it's particularly interesting for people who are home brewers yeah. who might, yeah. for instance, get the recipe that you're talking about and use unfiltered Melbourne water, and go, yeah. oh, "Hang on, this isn't the same beer, but I swear I followed it precisely." Yeah, yeah, 100%. So the first thing that I really consider when making a beer with our water is what the yeast needs to survive um, and what uh, needs to happen from an enzymatic approach um, uh, during the brewing process. So for, for this beer, for example, uh, I'll add a whole bunch of additional uh, carbonate, like uh, uh, chalk, um, uh, in there, I'll add a little bit of hardness as well. But for a Pilsner, for example, I will keep it as clean as possible, but just give it what it needs in trace elements for the yeast to be able to survive. So it's really soft water still. So this is just basically a slightly harder water profile. Calcium chloride is a great friend of mine, really accentuates things. I'm going um, to get you that on a T-shirt for your, for your birthday. So. I love it already. <laughs> I love it already. Yeah, I, um, not that I overuse it or anything, but it's just one of those things that uh, I realised very quickly uh, creates a great environment and also adds um, a great benefit to particular beers, beers like this, for example. Um, yeah, so yeah, water, water is an incredibly um, painstakingly detailed problem uh, and I work in increments. Yeah, yeah, CACL. Thank you, Jacob. Yes. <laughs> we, we told you Good we man. had both scientists and data nerds in the room. I love it. I love it. It's where we should all we need. We need everyone. <laughs> um, have, Nathan, have there been any styles that you haven't the uh, European styles that you're you're dying to do but you haven't done yet? Oh, really? Heritage styles, I'd say, like um, Lichtenhainer. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Um, oh, well, yeah, there's some really basic styles that we haven't made yet, like Dunkel. Dunkel and Nathan, example. you've just been joined by someone else in the room there, which is more than fine. We oh. welcome everyone into the room. Sorry, oh, sorry. But this is Jack, my apprentice. Sorry. No worries, Jack. Welcome. The only reason I raise that is to make sure that you and or Jack, if he wants to jump on the show, keep talking straight down into the microphone. So otherwise, the. So, yeah, gotcha. G'day, Jack. Sorry, welcome Dave. to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Are you are you the bloke that uh, Nathan was complaining about earlier on when you weren't in the room? 
Yeah, it must have been me, yeah, sure. And uh, you're one of the apprentices, so does that mean you had to go and get the left-handed uh, Voyager malts to begin with? Or That's right, you... yeah. I'm the one that clears out the water ton every time. <laughs> picks up the heavy things. Picks up the heavy things. Yeah. <laughs> um, while we've got you, Jack, I mean, tell us about what it's like to, to come in as an apprentice. You know, why, why did you want to, you know, move into the world of craft beer? Which uh, bank were you doing IT for before you <laughs> yeah. joined? And... No, no, I wasn't quite working in IT. I, um, I was studying computer science and then decided, you know, <laughs> that's... I got one year into it and I'm like, nah, that's brewing. done, brewing, or beer. Yeah. So I've been working for Kira Brewing um, in a hospitality role for some time. And then sort of um, since August last year, sort of transitioned into brewing. Um, but I've been passionate about craft beer for some time before that as well. And is that a way that you'd recommend people get into the industry? Because we have so many listeners, again, who are home brewers or people wanting to get a crack, you know, in the industry. What advice has someone who's got that crack would you be giving them? Well, I think um, particularly in the craft beer industry in Australia, the hospitality component is such a massive component of it. Um, so I think that's a really good avenue to go down if you want to, you know, break into the industry and you can sort of see that interaction between the product and their customers as well and get a good idea of, you know, that sort of interaction, I suppose. Also, and, you know, uh, Nathan, from your point of view, when you were hiring, were you, did you just think that Jack was going to be up here, you know, flinging pizzas or you know carrying glasses or did you see something i wouldn't trust jack with the pizzas jeez (laughs) maybe with the beer but not with the pizzas um uh, well jack was uh was a passionate um beer advocate well food food wine like he's he's a gastro lover um and that was what sold me to jack initially and, and Jack, um, actually... your t-shirt's just going to say gastro lover, and then you're going to have to explain <laughs> right, yeah. everyone that you were. And the, um, the most surprising thing Jack ever said to me was that he wanted to work in the brewery. Is that right? It absolutely flipped me out. So, um, yeah, and I said to him, are you sure? Like, it's very hard work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, here we are, and uh, he's a good uh, almost uh, nine, ten months in. So, um, yeah, doing well and, and, and good at it and, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I really well. hope that when you asked him, you know, do you realise how hard the work is, Jack? He just came straight back with, do you realise how boring the people who work in IT are? I couldn't possibly. <laughs> yeah. <do that. laughs> I, I'm not even sure I said, do you realise how hard it is? But that was what was said in my head. Yeah. I think it was said at some point. Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is an excellent little, we, we said during the break that we wanted to have a little talk about what beers you've got on tap. Mm. Um, and take us through those and, and, you know, spruik what you've got, but also please spruik the food offering up there as well. And you've already touched on which beers, of, sorry, which food you'd serve with this beer. But, you know, talk yeah. to us about the food you've got on offer and with these beers. We have pretzel donuts. I'd be, I'd be serving pretzel donuts with this beer, with pretzel Nutella. Donut. Yeah, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, so, well, do you want me to show you what's on tap? Yeah, that that works so try. well for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Um, so we have obviously um, European again. So Pivo uh, is a pretty simple Czech pills. We've sars the hell out of it, so it's like spicy, like almost woody. Um, uh, fresh batch of that coming out next week as well. Um, 
it's my current favorite um, love child in that we've never had like a, a pure um, lager on before, like a full strength, whatever. Uh, and um, all of a sudden it started selling like crazy. So we got Pivo on. That's the clean beer that you have as an aperitif. You're having your garlic pizza, uh, maybe some arancini. Um, uh, away you go. Then we've got North Northeast. Same rule applies, really. That's our mid-strength lager. Um, I refused to make pale ales for about five years. Um, so I just made a seasonal pale ale, Belgian pale, um, which is basically um, uh, a dry hot um, uh, colch, uh, but mm. fermented using the same yeast that we used for the triple. Sold like wildfire, was really good. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't our pale. Anyway, I finally made a pale ale that's come up to be like about the third best seller in about two months. So pale ale uh, is on tap everywhere now starting to get around the northeast to pick uh we have a ginger beer so we started making ginger beer recently as well with the extra tanks i'm like i got heaps of extra room and then decided to tie one up with lagers um and we somehow got a ginger beer out uh ginger beer has been selling super well uh so what we do is it isn't gluten-free we don't just do sugar and extract you know whatever um we still do a brewed beer um, we use uh, a, a good dosage of dextrose in there still uh, to dry it out. And I buy the butter and ginger puree from uh, Queensland. So it's got fresh ginger in there, then get some, uh, uh, some fresh ginger root in there on the boil, whatever. Anyway, beautiful, clean, easy. Wow. Uh, it's still a little bit beerish, but very much um, a ginger beer that resonates with the masses. Red IPA, super malty um, and... Um, yeah, all, uh, Victorian hops uh, and Citra. And Citra yeah. So we love Citra. Citra cryo goes a long way. Um, so we we have that in the pail in the red IPA. Um, and it's no longer in the pail. Oh, it's no longer in the pail. We went all Australian hops in the pail. Oh, we're going all Australian hops in the pail now. That's right. And um, we're going to get some cascade from Ellerslie yeah. to add to it. So Ellerslie is our closest local hop supplier. Um, who is in Murray in the King Valley. Not a lot of people know Ellerslie. Uh, then Belgian Golden Strong. My God, what a beer. What a beer. What a beer. This is currently in Melbourne at the moment. You can go to um, Boot Gang Bar in um, Bridge Road, Richmond, and the Cherry Tree just tapped a keg of it as well. Oh, and none, of those, none of those venues has anything to do with people who used to be in IT, just to be clear. Yeah, exit, exit, exit. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's all right. I'm... I know Grum well. Grum's really great friends with uh, the guy that I work with at ANZ. Very much friends of the podcast, let's be clear. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Then, uh, yes, then we've got two wet hops. We've got the wet hop Eclipse and wet hop Galaxy on. We'll be talking about Eclipse shortly. Um, When we do talk about the wet hops, I'll tell you how much I love making those beers. Hmm. Uh, Then we have our Fig Porter, which is probably our best known extra regional beer every time we make it it just goes vanishing um we're already out of kegs we've only had it for a few weeks um and the cans are dissipating rather quickly uh then we've got we've got the f on tap uh which we just uh tasted and spoke about and we've got kolsch kolsch is still our best-selling beer um although the pale is trying to take over it um and then we have peach and raspberry bell and advisor which is um, 21 litres of raspberry puree, um, 42 litres, no, 63 litres of peach puree, 
into a 2.8% Berliner Weisser. Um, so I do a 2.8% base and then we do the fruit, we do the same thing with the mango and we do the blueberry as well. Mm. Anyway, beautiful acid content. Um, uh, raspberries kind of like on the nose and then peach and flavour, beautiful. Um, more a summary beer, but just a great uh, example of the style. Awesome. <clears throat> That's such an amazing range on tap too. It's just, yeah, it, it just kind of, you could you could sit there and smash a whole bunch of things, but there's also stuff where you could sit on, or yeah, anyone could just have a couple of pints and sit on. That's yeah, that's terrific. Um, just a quick question from Jacob. He he wanted to ask about the can art for the for the Doppelbock. Um, mm. Yeah, a, a bit of a, a departure from your your reg, from your your core. I suspect all your core rate beers. Um, yep. What's the story behind it? What's the, the design and, and yeah, where's it come from? Yeah, so um, we go a little bit artistic on some of our beers, particularly where I have a message. Um, and so because uh, the history of the Doppelbock is so driven by Christianity, mm-hmm. I really wanted to um, uh, unravel that a little bit and paganise it so that there was a bit of a balance. Yeah, uh, um, our so, 8 o'clock scoop. Yeah. <laughs> Does this so, mean we've um, all joined not... a new church tonight without realising it? <laughs> well, yeah, Columbia Day Orem is my church. We all believe in the golden pigeon. Don't shit on me and I won't shit on you. That's the law of the pigeon. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the idea behind the Mabon Doppelbock is Mabon is a, um, a, a, a harvest festival, like mm. a bacon harvest festival. Um, and the artwork is meant to symbolise that sort of... Um, uh, that pagan festival, like around the, the fire, everyone getting together, celebrating the harvest. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we weren't saying, you know, we're religious, not religious, we're whatever. I'm like, let's just join them together a little bit. Yep. Awesome. I know it's obtuse, but it's just how I. Oh, we like obtuse. Obtuse is, <laughs> we're all about obtuse. You, you yeah, well, you, you, to play we, can, obtuse. we can talk a lot. <laughs> I'm I'm really excited to move on really quickly to the next one because mm. yeah the, the love your hops. Is, yeah uh, uh, just uh, just fascinating and as you said it's like yeah, yeah you're you sound like you're you're really excited about them um should oh, we start yeah. with the story about the harvest beers like they're, they're a series what what's a, what's the story what's the deal yeah so um, uh... First of all, we're in Northeast Vic. There's something that I that I didn't say, um, but mm. Northeast Victoria is the largest hop growing region in, in Australia. Mm. Um, has pretty much the best growing conditions, and um, uh, there is not only um, Ellerslie down the road, but also Hop Products Australia, which is owned by Bart Haas, um, a German parent company, um, that produce a, a large, you know, like way above fifty percent, maybe. Anyway, I, I shouldn't say numbers that I don't know, but um, a large percentage of the hops for Australia. Mm-hmm. As a result of being close by, when it's harvest time, when they're harvesting the hops, we can easily go and get access to those hops before they've been processed. And what this harvesting is all about is they cut the binds down, they bring them in, they shake all the hops off, and instead of sending them to the kiln uh, for drying, they just put them in a box and uh, we take them and then we make a beer with them. And the, the concept of this is that the process um, of kilning and, and then hammer milling uh, is very intrusive and therefore you lose 
components of the hops. So by um, getting hold of the whole hop cones before they've been through any of that process, we get access to flavors and oils and components um, that have otherwise been smashed out of them when they become pellets, right? So that's, um, that's it. So every, every March to April, um, uh, we, we make a play for what hops are available that we can make these uh, fresh hop beers with, as they're called, because they haven't been killed. Um, and yeah, we make these, these beautiful, wonderful beers using only those fresh hop cones. I think we're a little bit different to most breweries, if not any, all that I know, um, is that in that we only use those fresh hop cones. We don't try to bump them up with any pellets. We don't add any bitterness. Um, I just buy extra hops, <laughs> right, to really um, uh, accentuate uh, those individual hop varieties. The, the recipe for the beer is always 100% Valoria malt from, uh, from Voyager. Um, it's that schooner barley. It's slightly kiln. It gives an awesome backbone um, that we then uh, add the hops to. And because it's the same, you get a really good example of what each hop is like as a result of the base beer being the same. So we can call these um, smash beers, single malt and single hop. Yeah. Um, 100%. It's Voyager and then that hop. Uh, sorry, Valoria, then that hop. Valoria, then that hop. Uh, and each beer, 6% for each one. And uh, yeah, I really love them because, first of all, the base beer is so beautiful as a pale ale mm. um, uh, that I could add anything to it and make that my pale ale and I'd love it. But then we get to use these ingredients that are seasonal. They change every year. Um, uh, and I add them to it and every year I get a new surprise. As a data nerd, as a data nerd, is it kind of interesting to see the evolution and the different stages and the the fact that you've got this really great canvas that you kind of just insert the variable on? I love it. You, know, you are and, a data um, nerd, Warren. Yeah, I am a little bit. <laughs> Everyone is inside. Yeah, yeah deep inside. Over, when, yeah, when, when you have the chance to take something, which is really great to start with, and then you change one of the variables, uh, yeah. it's like, yeah, that's, 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 it's there. Yeah, it's a process. It, that's a beautiful process. It's, a, it's amazing. It's right. Well, the other thing that you get out of it, uh, Warren, is that because we have all the same base and then three different hop varieties, and um, I see other brewers or other people that work at breweries just shudder in, 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 in shock um, is that I will mix all the three beers and I'll be like two parts galaxy, two parts eclipse, one part big, try that, you know, like a cocktail because we've got the same base. And, um, yeah, I love it. it is, it's, a, it's a great experiment. We get yeah. to see a little bit firsthand. Look, it, it is, it's a little bit mystical in that, um, we get whatever hops come off. It's not necessarily they've been tested in a bale, right? Yep. So we could get what's come off that line. It could be totally different to the um, uh, homogenization that they normally do. Yep. So maybe we've got the shittest galaxy or maybe we've got the best galaxy. You know? yeah. um, we'll never really know that because we get what comes. Um, I was going to ask, can, we... can, can I just jump in there for a second? Because like we've spoken to some brewers in previous podcasts but the average punter doesn't realise that for some brewers, they really do go out and pick sort of line by line or almost plant by plant. It's, as, it's yeah. just like sort of wineries. So you guys basically don't have a call over which sort of, you know, hops you're getting in this process? 
No, nah, no, nah, not from HPA. So we, they, they'll, choose, they'll choose the field that they're doing and then we'll be delivered the hops. Um, well, I'm sorry, not delivered. We normally go and pick them up, except for this year, Phil dropped them off. Um, dropped off We'd the love galaxy. logistics talk as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah but we, we get them. We see that, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you could still go and pick the, I want that one, I want that one. You can pull off um, two cones and be like, mm. yeah, that's awesome. And, yeah, I want this line. But without the homogenization, which is, like, getting all of them and then going, uh, here's these three bales, you never really know what you're getting across the vine anyway. Uh-huh. So I think there might be a little little bit of romanticism there as well, um, well which is great. You're not romantic, are you? I am, I am. I really I really am, but I will bring it down to brass tacks. Yeah. And then I'll be romantic when I tell the story to the kids later, you know. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm the process that we get and what we uh, have got out of HBO um, today, I really love, and what I've seen, I think everything's been ridiculous. Like you've never seen hops like it every time they rock up. These hops were just insane. Yeah, yeah, and like the oil content is like on the hop, and yeah. So I, I wouldn't imagine that I could pick any better than what we're receiving. The, the process of this also fascinates me. Like to to wet hop using wet hop is obviously a, a completely different process. How do you? How do you integrate? Like, what what do you do? Is it before? Is it yeah? When do you when do you add the hops? I suppose are they double are they double hops? Are they yeah? Well, oh, don't double dry hop me. DDH, <laughs> double double D's. double de- yeah double deeds. Um, yeah. So uh, I do the same process for every single hop variety. I yep. I, I feel maybe like. Um, the whole harvest thing is like my experiment. Um, so I do it the same for each hop. I'm not, I'm not trying to extract um, the best benefit out of each hop. I'm trying to see how each hop performs um, based on what we've got. Mm-hmm. So the process, I'll, I'll step you through it very um, like uh, exact. Uh, Can I, is, before you go there, because one, one quick question, you know, do they all come on at the same time or just like mm-hmm. most no, fruit and veg, no, no, no. is there so, a bit of a gap in between? So tell yeah, us well, how it looks it, yeah, almost sure. before you so, started the process. Yeah, so you know how I said the scheduling nightmare um, yeah. uh, of the lagers? Well, you can you can add the wet hops to that too. And I think we brewed the the, um, the Rule 47 at uh, the end of the, uh, the hops. So the hops all come on at different times. Um, I'm no hop uh, expert, so... Um, uh, don't take me as telling you exactly how it's all done, but different varieties uh, uh, tend to come on earlier and some come on later. So we get a, we get um, windows. Obviously, everything's based on um, weather and uh, that can change at, at a moment's notice. So we, we have an idea when we can receive a particular hop variety and that does make a big um, judgment call on what we can do. Uh, this year, i Bit off way more than I could chew. Uh, we do two wet hop varieties normally every year, and this year I went. The eclipse was so good last year. We can't drop it, but I refuse to drop Vic Secret. So we had to do all three. Just, just uh, for people who are listening on the podcast, Jack is nodding so vigorously at the statement. You bit off more than yeah. I, I think he might actually suffer whiplash. But, uh... yeah. it, it was a brutal four weeks. Brewing, that's for sure. We did a good job. We did, yeah, we got to... <laughs> Sorry, no, yeah, no, uh, 
back, back to all right. So now that you've got the hops, now that you've got the hops in this four week window, what are you doing with them in the oh. yeah? But sorry, so we use them the same day that we get them, right? So we get given a window of like when the hops will be picked. Yep. And we say we'd really like say Galaxy, right? They're like, we'll probably be picking Galaxy for two days. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, it'll be it'll be Tuesday and Wednesday. Does that work for you? It's like, well, it's got to, doesn't it? So yeah. can we have Wednesday, please? Um, they're like, right, Vic's coming out, blah, blah, blah. It's got to be this day or that day. So we can't push out uh, multiple beers in a cycle. So we kind of had to wait for the hops to be ready as well as scheduling um, when a particular hop is going to be ready. So the beginning of the month ended up eclipsing Galaxy and we managed to get both of those beers out before the hop harvest of Bridge Road at the beginning of April, which was a pretty good turnaround. I think we got like um, 2nd of March and like 8th of March or something mm-hmm. um, for the two hops and brewed on the same day and the Vic Secret wasn't ready till the end of the month. So the Vic Secret actually came out um, very late okay. uh, and we had to have a tank ready for it in between packaging cycles and stuff. So the scheduling was horrendous. That's why Jack's having whiplash. (laughs) (laughs) David asked an amazing question. Uh, Well, he set up an amazing question. This is probably the exact right point to to put it. Uh, How much is stressful and how much is exciting? Like, yeah, if what percentage of, what ratio are the both? during for oh, this project oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. for the for the harvest project or yeah. the brewing no no the harvest project <laughs> no, no, well but the harvest project specifically i think it's a yeah. good time to ask that question yeah no the, the harvest project i think um is exciting um uh after you've made the decision on the schedule yeah and then you're kind of waiting so there's a good amount of excitement there um the stress is only on the day of brewing like when it's happening Okay. Um, and then it's in, you know, so um, I think, uh, and then, and then you're fermenting this beer, like straight away, the whole brewery just smells awesome. Mm-hmm. So I think the excitement outweighs the stress. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Is that, so, is, yeah. so it, can we count that as a scoop? Would that be the, the next chat? What other changes? What's the future of this project? Is it adding more and more hops until Jack like crawls up in the corner? And, oh, you know, if you want the scoop, the scoop is working with a new hop company. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a, a locally based one that we don't already know about, or no, nah. no more scoop. <laughs> okay, cool. That's all the scoop you get. Well, no, I don't want to ruin. I don't want to ruin my scoop. Nah, but, that's um, all good. While we're talking hops, because we haven't really spoken oh, precisely yeah. about this beer and about mm. what makes Eclipse a distinct top, and yeah. obviously people have uh, the other ones in the pack. So let's talk about yeah. what makes them distinct and. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. Um, so these three hops are HPA proprietary hops. So the first thing that makes them distinct is only HPA can grow them. Um, but uh, they're very um, particular uh, in the nuances that they have. Um, and for Australian hops where they're really trying to um, create hops that are a great export commodity as well, which means they're like super punchy and, um, have uh, uh, various types of fruit flavours and, and, and whatnot. Um, the Eclipse has uh, a really significant mandarin character, like as in like a sweet mandarin, um, as well as uh, uh, an overarching citrus and some of those those other sort of stone fruity characteristics in there. Um, 
doesn't really happen in the um, in the same great quantity or or I'm trying to stay away from balance because it's not the right word for hops but like um, in there's ubiquitous um, mandarin and then there's other like nice fruity characters around it and it's it's unique in that in that characteristic we used it for the first time last year in a wet hop because we couldn't schedule anything else to happen um, uh, quite honestly and uh, it ended up being the fan favorite of um, uh, my meaning being that out of the tap room um, and uh, out of uh, retail sales, um, it was most people's favourite over the Galaxy, which had been everyone's favourite every other year. So, yeah, the um, it's that fruit characteristic, that mandarin, that really shines for the, um, for the Eclipse. Um, with Galaxy, uh, it's always been about passion fruit. What we noticed this year is that we had uh, much more um, characteristic from uh, like a bruised white peach yeah, um, is what we really felt it tasted like. Um, the passion fruits there in spades. Once again, this can come down to um, what we get out of the um, out of the picking, you know. So maybe the passion fruits will punch in anywhere else, or the mm. homogenization mm. will bring it in. Um, but we were um, really surprised. Like it really smelled like a fresh. Hit peach when we walked past the fermenter when it first. Yeah, yeah, and then it subdued, and then it came back again right yeah. before packaging. It was, um, yeah, it was uh, um, uh, interesting. But the the galaxy really is uh, about the passion fruit, yep. and I've noticed the passion fruit's picked up a bit more um, uh, in the weeks the can's been in package. Uh, and the big secret is, I'd like to say, totally different um, in that it has a, a little bit of resinous character. It's got that pine and pineapple. Mm-hmm. Um, that pineapple is really um, uh, through the palate as well. Um, uh, and you get a lift from some other citrus in there too. So very different hops all in all and um, all uh, stemming with a different shining star. You know, you, um, passion fruit, white peach for galaxy this year, um, mandarin um, uh, for eclipse. Uh, and then uh, I feel like pineapple and resin um, in, in the big secret this year. Wow. Yeah. In the in the production brewing side, is there a difference to how they they act when you're actually using them in the brew? Like yeah, so brewing? we um, we utilize them differently. Um, in that uh, we only use them as a huge. Um, uh oh, hang on! I'm seeing the chat. There's some big calls happening. I've got to see these big calls. Yeah, no, this- <laughs> So they do the brood IPA, a single hot West Coast IPA. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, so we utilise them differently in that uh, I only ever do one massive hop back. So we, um, uh, we finish Whirlpool. Um, we have all the hops in the lauder. Um, we've got a three-vessel system, um, mash, lauder, kettle, Whirlpool. Um, we put all the hops into the lauder. Uh, Get back under the brood IPA. Thanks, Crofty. Yeah. I'm going to be very distracted by this chat now, you know. Um, uh, and that is, uh, it's like a 60-minute contact time on 25 kilos of hops. Each each variety has had the same amount of, same kilos of hops, even though the oil contents are different. And that's one thing that you probably need to understand about how I make these beers, is I'm saying, um, I'm doing kilo for kilo. I'm not doing uh, alpha acid to alpha acid or oil content oh, to yeah, oil yeah. content. Yep. I'm saying you get 25 kilos each, all right? 
So, all right, well, Eclipse is more subtle. It's, it's got a less, uh, less alpha it's got a less oil content. It's a more subtle pop. Well, this is what yep. you should be experiencing. And that's, that's how I'm trying to uh, showcase um, these beers. So they all, yep, get that Lauder edition. Beer gets um, uh, spun around a little bit and then uh, straight off uh, to the heat exchanger. There's low contact time, which means we don't get that uh, vegetable flavor that a lot of people get with the wet hot beers. Um, we overpower it by putting 25 kilo in, which is about um, a nine to one on what we'd normally do as opposed to a six to one, which would generally be recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, it, it's quick. Like I really think that that hot and uh, low contact time makes the difference. We don't have to add any more bitterness. You have these beers, you can get that really great residual bitterness because we've got about a 93 to 94 degree initial contact. We are getting some isomerization. Um, and I just love the process. Uh, it's so um, mundane, like it's so simple. Um, yeah. And it's how brewing can be done. Like it shows how brewing can be done in a really simple way to have a really incredibly great um, output. Yep. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. That's fascinating. Um, I feel like, Mr. Warren, we we're going to start to move to the end of our formal yeah. questions. But there's, there's one we've got to ask, which is our traditional call room question. You're, Warren. Um, no, David, you go ahead. Go on. Well, I'm interested here. So normally we ask brewers, you know, what's the strangest, most confronting thing they've seen, either in a cool room in a pub that they might have visited or, you know, on a brewery floor. And we always say, de-identify it. You don't need to say where you saw it. And um. So Nathan, I want to ask you that question. Jack, I want to ask you the same question, but I'm worried you don't have one venue and it's going to be pretty clear what the most disgusting thing you've seen in a cool room, you know? <laughs> Nathan, do you want to kick us off and then Jack, tell oh, us yeah, about the time uh, you went to... I'm thinking because our cool room is so well kept by Wally and I haven't seen many other many other cool rooms. The most disgusting thing I've, uh, I've seen um, would be uh, just all the, you know, like a, a, um, a pressure off valve where it should have gone into a bucket that has just been constantly put onto the floor. That's, um, that's second only to Weinstefan, I've got to say, in terms of oh, really? nerdy. You know, yeah. You've never seen anyone having a passion, a cool room at a, at a pub? No, nah, no, nah, I, I haven't. Um, I, could, I could make stuff up. I've got a vivid imagination, but... No, no, um, no. Yeah, it's more, more a bit of mould discussing. The worst thing I've seen in ours is... Um, uh, when um, uh, Keg King or whatever tried to make those first plastic um, uh, uh, kegs and the spears all split and beer just freaking went everywhere and destroyed all of our food. And Anyway, that, that's the only time that I've seen. You can, you can email me tomorrow and say you'd like me to cut their name out of the, uh, the podcast version, but that's all good. That's oh, the sorry, about that. sorry about that. Sorry about <laughs> that. No, it doesn't worry me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not the one who said it. They've, they've made new ones now. They did have problems with them, didn't they? Hmm. Yeah. And Jack, how about you? Well, that actually probably reminds me of one of the worst things I've seen is one of those plastic kegs. The seal is like broken. It's sitting there like bubbling off and it's just like there's some sort of over-fermentation over going on in there. How boring are we? But, yeah, otherwise it's just mould on beer lines and that sort of thing. Mm. It makes a really pleasant change to explosions, mm. um, worker abuse. We've had, you know, over the years. Yeah, 
lot people getting locked in cool rooms and that sort of oh, thing. Yeah. Oh, well, we don't really. It's not a real story. <laughs> Quick, de-identify. de-identify. <laughs> Nothing to see here, Your Honour. We're going to keep moving before we get. No, to we're that. boring. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're, We've got a couple of Ripper audience questions and we're going to get to those. Jacob, uh, who is one of our very loyal listeners and participants in the call room, uh, we're going to get to you in a second. But look, I know which beer I'm going to have next, uh, which is going to be the Robust Fig Porter. And oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be greedy. This is the fun of being the host of the, the show. Um, in 45 minutes time, not even that, 25 minutes time, what am I going to experience with that beer? I'm so happy to have that in the pack. Oh, well, you've taken it out of the fridge, hopefully, David. Absolutely, I have. Yeah, good. Um, so this beer basically has a um, light fig undertone um, on top, like underneath uh, a really traditional English robust porter. What you're going to expect is um, uh, that beautiful roast character, um, somewhat subdued, a great mouthfeel, and then this strange little bit of fruit character that's coming through from the fig. Um, you'll go, oh, that's interesting. And then as you keep drinking it, that fig becomes a lot more prominent in your mouth. And by the time you finish your can, you'll be like thinking about figs rather than the robust porter. It's a really um, uh, slow burn on the fig. Um, uh, and it just, yeah, it gets you in the end. You have two cans, you'll just be all about the fig. Mm-hmm. The figs are just such a great flavour. You mentioned before that you married a a girl who's a uh, second generation Italian, you know, and I've done exactly the same thing. We have a fig tree in our backyard. And so it's just <laughs> like, you know, during summer, it's like figs for dessert. Every yeah, so night. good. Yeah, so good. So Absolutely. Wally, so Brown is, Brown is uh, father-in-law, father, Brown is father, my father-in-law, mm. um, has six fig trees out there. For, for those who yeah, for those who are listening to the podcast, six, they're just, they're and just using their fingers dark. to count how many fig trees are in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because well, Wally's been picking all the figs for the last four years. We don't know how many trees are out there. We just get <laughs> we get all the figs, and uh, so yeah, they come in, they get quartered, and 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 we use them straight off the property. And I love it. It's um, it's that providence of uh, of ingredient, yeah. and it works so well on on this particular beer. As Crofty says in the chat, I unfortunately own two very large dogs who are good at standing on their hind legs and they literally eat all of the figs up to about a yeah. metre and a half up the tree. But um, Jacob Jackson, you've got a couple of ripper questions and you've been very patient in terms of uh, keeping them right here until this audience participation part of the podcast. Why don't you unmute yourself, mate? We'll get started with your questions. We probably have time for one other audience participation question and then we're going to let the guys go because they've given us so much of their time tonight everyone takes the figs mugs <laughs> uh yeah thank you guys for your time uh, nathan and uh, wally i believe um uh, jack jack. Uh, jack sorry i misheard sorry yes he's not my father yeah, sorry um uh, but yeah no i was just going earlier you were talking about yeast and you were talking about managing your own yeast supply. And I was wondering, do you mean you want to actually set up a lab to manage oh. wet cultures? And would you do that with locals? And also whether liquid yeast from say bluestone yeast in Melbourne, is that too expensive or logistically difficult to obtain? Feel free to decline on this question too. That's okay. 
No, that's fine, Jacob. You, um, I don't decline on any questions. Um, uh, it, I know it's close to the election, but I'll, um, I won't filibuster or, mm. or whatnot. Um, you so can't Bluestone... filibuster close to an election. Once the election's been called, filibusters are no okay. longer allowed. It's done. Um, so, yeah, Bluestone, so the use that we've used yeah. for the High Country Collab, for example, is from Bluestone. Uh, and they do have a, um, a yeast bank as well. Um, when I'm talking about uh, yeast management, I'm actually just talking about propagation um, and, and cell counts uh, and making sure that we have control over that because we have a broad spectrum of beers uh, in terms of we have uh, the variety that we use for Kolsch and Old Beer, we have what we use for lagers, um, and I don't believe Bluestone has what we use for lagers anyway, so we've got to get it from White Labs, but then Bluestone can bank it. Anyway, we need to be a little bit more um, thrifty on how we... Um, uh, utilize that product because it's expensive. It's very expensive. So all I mean uh, really is that we probably need a couple of drinks uh, and uh, uh, and a little bit of training on the on the microscope uh, to make sure that we're um, using it better. It does also come down to scheduling um, because we don't have a dedicated uh, house strain. Um, we're not keeping one thing alive all the time. Um, it means that we need to be able to store and use as quickly as possible mm. um, so that we've got live yeast. So yeah, what, what I really mean is uh, just great propagation uh, techniques and measurement. But it's, yeah, it's great ripper, question. It's a ripper of a question and yeah. we don't often talk about, you know, I think everyone can get their head around pretty easily how expensive, you know, hops are to buy, especially, you know, fresh, perfect hops, ditto malts, the yeast bit, probably easy enough for some people to forget and, you know, and some breweries don't put much effort into the yeast. No, we put a lot of effort into yeast. It's yeah. it's right up there um, with our most expensive ingredients, um, particularly. So if I do um, special batches, so like Pivo, Czech Pilsner, uh, I love making it just in the spring. Um, like I said, Italian immigrant area, um, uh, Italian Pilsner, Bohemian Pilsner, that sort of thing is, is where we're at. Um, but I can't just make that one beer with it or the beer would cost 500 bucks a keg, you know? Um, so we have to make another beer we made, Chizarsky, one of my favorite, grab that can, grab that can away there. So I made, I made an Imperial version, um, of Bilsner and it turned into my favorite beer overnight. I just remember um, while you're showing it to all the people in the cool room, Zoom room, it'd be a really good idea to describe it to the people who are listening on the podcast. Yeah. So, all the way so from the- Norway to Southern Norway. <coughs> yeah, awesome. So this is um, uh, a Czech Pilsner where the malt bill's been doubled. So we've got a Doppo Malto uh, Czech um, Pilsner. Um, it's got the same amount of hop character as what our original um, Czech Pilsner had. Um, but because the malt's so intense, um, uh, it comes out as a very dry, easy-drinking lager. Yeah. It literally tastes like a 5% lager and halfway through a can you've been smacked in the head. It's, um, uh, that, that's its really, that's its punchline, its selling line, which doesn't, you know, really uh, say much to it, but it's just such a wonderfully easy drinking and salubrious beer. Well-balanced. Yeah, yeah well-balanced. I just couldn't believe it that it came out so well, to be honest. So, and that was all because I went, I cannot just make Pivo with one batch of Bujibeki Budvar um, lager yeast, we need to extend this yeast and we've got one tank. What are we going to do? Let's make something big. 
I mean, that sounds I... awesome. Um, <laughs> what, what percentage? Do, what what percentage is the that? Uh, the Chudarsky, uh is eight percent. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. Now, now, Jacob, yeah, good do you have a second question yeah. for the team? Yeah, did you want me to go to the hop one or the non-beer question? I like the non-beer question. Quite genuine. Oh, yeah, yeah. No worries. Uh, particularly okay. as you're a man who. This is going to be more and more relevant to in coming times. Yeah, I, I'm kind of asking for a friend, me. <laughs> so, um, as someone who has a career and who runs a very busy small business yeah. and is on paternity leave, so you've had a baby, uh, oh, these yeah, things are yeah. coming my way right now. How did you manage all that? You know, you obviously got your family enlisted. We're, we're looking at similar things. How, how, do, you, how do you do it? Uh it's hard to recommend, Jacob. Um, at my um, we don't have a lot of help up here. Um, we uh, we have moved away from family somewhat. Um, my father-in-law, who does everything around here, builds new roads, engineers stuff for me, etc. Also, turns out to be our only um, babysitter. Um, so uh, it's 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 not been easy. Uh, it's been very very hard, actually. Um, so I'm not recommending it up front. Um, however, uh, the buy-in from the rest of the family has been fantastic. So my wife and I have worked really well together to do different parts of the business. Um, and without that, um, it would never have worked. So it's, um, I don't know. I feel like we've both, um, put on our backpacks to, um, to make this uh, this this climb happen, you know, mm. yeah, that's the best I can say. Uh, it's it's yeah, not easy. It's a it's a really good answer, Nathan. I've got to say, Jacob. You know, I've been lucky enough to spend the last week or so with all of these fantastic entrepreneurs in Melbourne, particularly you know multicultural, recently arrived to Australian multi you know mm. uh, entrepreneurs. And it's the energy that you get out of being surrounded by people who are taking similar risks as well uh, mm. that keeps you going. I think a big bit of it. And the support that people can give you in that scenario because every single one of those things is hard yakka that you've just mm. asked the question about. But then you surround yourself with people who just find a way to do stuff every day. Um, they're inspirational to me. Um, and, you know, I hope that, you know, they all support each other. I think that's the best bit. Yeah, the support, the support's it. And um, and achieving that goal, every little step, you know, I think um, small goals, uh, well, I shouldn't say small goals, but having those goals and then achieving them is what takes you across the line, right? So when we got started, um, I had uh, I had a, a business plan for 10, 10 years with a one-year goal, a three-year goal, a five-year goal, and then a 10-year goal. And um, I thought I was being a little bit conservative um, for like the one year goal, but not so much for the three year goal, whatever. And, um, and uh, first of all, what happened was the one year goal got realized within about five months. And then I realized that I hadn't fully assessed where we were going to go or what we needed to do and what that really meant. But it was very uplifting, you know? And then um, by the end of the, or just after the end of the first year, um, that third year goal happened, which was the, which was the point where I had in the plan that we would um, definitely take the step of investing the rest of it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and that was 
the, the next scary point, but also the most uplifting because when you take that, you're thinking about it until you take that step. And when you do, the weight's off because that's what you're doing now. So I think, um, you know, maybe if I was a smarter person, um, I would have given myself um, more credit that we would get there and I'd have less weight on my shoulders. But having those goals there and achieving them just gave me the momentum, you know, to keep going. And um, I, I, I really feel like we're in a uniquely awesome position right now, like how we've just grown in the last six months, that uh, I'm looking at us as such an awesome business and it was um, yeah, ticking off um, those goals that really helped me. I I love that. I think that's a really positive note to finish on um, because it sums up so much of what you've achieved already and the ambition you have for the future. Uh, You've been very generous with your time. We're going to sit around in the cool room and drink through the other 11 beers or the other seven beers (laughs) in the pack. Jack is sitting there wincing. Every time you say the ambition for the future, he's going, oh, hang on, that means more work for me, doesn't it? (laughs) But to to both of you, Jack, you didn't realise you were going to be on the podcast tonight. It's been excellent to have you on. Nathan, to you and uh, to the whole family who've made this possible, um, I reckon I, I reckon it was the literally January the 1st this year I sent a whole lot of breweries a message saying, who'd like to be on the podcast this year? You came back and said, love to be on, but let's do it when the wet hop beers are ready. And <laughs> you've, you've been absolutely true to your word. And this has been an awesome episode and the beers are just fantastic. Thanks, David. And thanks everyone for coming in and... Uh... Having a bit of a chin, mate. Mr. Warren Wu, um, good night to you. I'm going to ask, I've got one little question to go. I should have mentioned this earlier. Mm. Nathan, Nathan, what are your uh, your socials so we can follow King River? And um, Warren, do you want to give your cat socials after that? Because I know that your cat is just going gangbusters <laughs> on Instagram. Oh, no. At kr.brewing uh, for Insta and Facebook. Beautiful. Warren? Oh, it's uh, Fiery the Cat at, uh, on Insta. Fiery the Cat. He's and on Seth. that note, my friends, we're going to pause the recording, stop the recording, and sit round in the cool room, uh, Zoom room. And um, please join us in June after you've been to Beer Deluxe in Yarra Botanica mm. with us in late May. Canadian breweries, Melbourne breweries, Queensland breweries, probably Tasmanian breweries. Uh, June is going to be an awesome month in the cool room. Thanks very much. Bye for now.